From the backwoods and the swamp waters of the Sunshine State, and all across America and the world, this is The Big and Wild Outdoors, with your host, Braden Gunn, Jonathan Swindle, and Glenn Kinman. I don't know. Leave me alone, Bill George. Hey, uh, welcome in. It's hour number two, the Big, the big and Wild Anything Outdoors. Uh, just to run down, we are in hour number two, just so you know, uh, don't freak out. We're going to give away more tickets to the, uh, deer and turkey expo coming up out at the, uh, center out in Lakeland. I don't know what the official title of it is now. What is the RP Lakeland? funding? The RP, whatever. Yeah. Uh, coming up in the, uh, ninth hour, we're going to have, uh, Vince Noble from Live in the Water Life is going to stop by with, uh, Captain Travis from, uh, Twisted Limbs Bow Fishing and, uh, talk about all that kind of good stuff that they went out and did and, if you'd like to go out and do it, you know, he's one of them guys. It's got one of those big, huge, ginormous boats with a big deck on the front and a big, giant. He's got plenty of lights. Bank so you don't, of get, lights, you don't yeah. have to worry about the guy with the headlight on blinding you, Braden. That makes it a lot easier when you, when you do that. Kind of like the frog gigging setup, you know, where you don't have to worry about your headlamp. You can just light up the whole place and, and do it that way. So uh, we look forward to talking to him here pretty soon. And, but, and those lights are, uh, they're cool to have, but my goodness, are they very expensive. They're expensive, but they they do what they got to do. You got to you get what you pay for. So uh, you know. Well, that's what's nice when you go out with somebody who actually already has invested a boat in it. set up for that. You know, they made the investment. You're just renting it. So you were just weekend warriors, and so yeah. okay. Got There's you. nothing wrong with that. Okay. The one thing I'd like to do is, um, if the opportunity was to come, is to go out and uh, I watched a video of them uh, taking some of the sheephead. Along some of the pilings. That'd be my and, boy. Uh, that would, uh, that's. I would I, fill a boat with sheep's head. I'm, I'm that, back in the day. That, I mean, that, I love sheep's head. What's man. the minimum size on a sheep's head? That bet right there. Yeah, Bill, won't you look it up? Let that us size know, right there. I'm a freshwater guy. I'm, I'm depending on whoever <laughs> I, I go with. All to I know, know what's is there me. is a size limit on sheep's head, and you wouldn't think it'd be a size limit on sheep's head, but there is. And so now you're bow fishing, and it's like, okay. You better be real sure. Shoot that one. No, don't shoot that one. No, don't shoot that one. Shoot Everything that one. looks bigger underwater, it officer. It does. It does. Sorry. It gains, it gains five inches under there. Refraction. That's what it is. Refraction. Uh, speaking of getting bigger, I just wanted to uh, let you know, if you looked at our Facebook page, uh, it seemed to get a lot of uh, a lot of notice from a lot of different people. Uh, as a matter of fact, over 1,300 shares. Uh, when I posted up the... Looking for fun and adventure and some money? Sign up today. If you want to become a Burmese python hunter down in the Everglades, they need you. And uh, I think they've changed the rules a little bit because now they're letting you use firearms for the uh, dispatch. Now you can count uh, me Whoa, 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 whoa. Where are they allowing whoa, whoa, you to use whoa, firearms whoa, whoa, at? Whoa, 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 Mr. Commission meeting. What, what is this what, news where to Where are you? they allowing firearms at? They're allowing firearms anywhere that they're allowing firearms, my friend. <laughs> that's that's. But the reason why I asked, when they first started the Python Challenge, they turned around and they told you you can dispatch them with a firearm. That's right. And then they told you where you to go look for them. And they turned around and told you to drive on the roads, look for them on the sides of the roads and on the levees. Right. And those are two places where it is against the law to, to discharge, discharge a firearm. A firearm yeah. well, the national, uh, the Everglades National Park will uh, now allow state contracted python hunters into its federal lands to find and kill the invasive Burmese python 
Despite efforts to remove the pythons from the area for years, the snakes seem to be growing and it's ravaging the park's wildlife population. So this is an unprecedented move considering decades of resistance by the National Park. And uh, apparently... Well, good uh, on them, man. Apparently they're going to uh, allow uh, these things to happen. So uh, you can go out there and... Uh, well, you know what that says? <laughs> and it behind what it says right there, really, if they're going to allow something that they've been opposed to for decades... Yeah. That tells you that there is really a threat. They're There's really a big problem. Yeah. This is this is one of the things you may not hear somewhere else, but uh, there was an effort to allow it a while back, and there was more of an anti crowd that just really took the park service and and put them back on their heels and saying, "No, what are you going to let people in here killing stuff for?" And then they turn around came back off that position so seeing them go back on it now it's like all of a sudden maybe there's hope that science and data and everything else will outweigh some sentiment of a few people well you got to remember that there was the the same touchy-feely kind of thing when it came to the lionfish when you know when they actually said you know let's just see how it's going out there and then when they saw the Multiple tens of thousands of lionfish coming in. The FWC were smart enough to sit back and go, okay, maybe we should open this up to anybody recreationally. Let them get out there. Start doing it. As a matter of fact, let's encourage more people to get out and doing it. As a matter of fact, let's start tagging a few of them so that people could actually win some money and uh, do that kind of thing. So you got to give them props on the fact that they've kind of got into it uh, full bore. And uh, hopefully now with this um, uh, this announcement that they made, they would encourage more people to go out and do it. Because I think, you know, Bill George, you can attest to this being a gator hunter. It's not easy to go out there in the Everglades, try to find something that's born in camouflage and uh, basically go and catch it by hand and do it the hard way. We always said from day one that you should be able to drive on the front of the boat you see one, pacoom, you know, bust it up and do it and then go and worry about it. You know, dispatch it first. Well, they are invasive, as you pointed out. They're very uh, adapted to the the vegetation with the camo, the patterns that they have. You can call it camo, but the pattern that's there is uh, pretty good. And uh, whenever you spot one, next thing you know, if it gets into the water, a marshy area, they're gone. They yeah. blend in or they just slither away. Well, now, you know, they're not just going to open it up, you know, willy-nilly to everybody out there, you know, with shotguns. I mean, you do have to go in and you have to apply. You would be a contracted python hunter. And uh, if you're an eligible applicant, you must uh, capture and remove at least three Burmese pythons from the Everglades ecosystem while working under a valid FWC python removal permit as an Everglades National Park authorized agent. Or from uh, private lands with landowners' permissions. Uh, pythons removed from private lands must be documented by photographs and must have been euthanized at the time and site of capture uh, or deposited with the FWC. You must not have any violations, any FWC-issued permits, or any other animal-related citations. You must uh, have sufficient time to conduct self-directed surveys using the predetermined routes and to effectively respond to survey requests and possess personal communication capabilities, including a cell phone and valid email and assume personal liability for health, welfare, and safety of themselves and anyone assisting them and uh, project a positive image at all times. Well, I'm glad. So those are pretty easy, uh, tiny things, but hey, 
You're going to get paid $8.25 an hour for surveys. And, of course, uh, let's see. And Everglades National Park, 15 bucks an hour for surveys conducted on Holy Land, Rottenburg, Big Cypress, and Picayune Strands, uh, wildlife management areas, and $15 an hour for responding to survey requests. Contractors will also be paid $200 for removal of each active python nest that has been verified Feel verified by the FWC for all submitted pythons. The FWC will uh, make additional payments per python of $50 for pythons measuring up to four feet and an extra $25 every foot measured above four feet. So, dude, you can actually make a pretty good living out there. Killing snakes. <laughs> Getting it done. Getting it done. Get out there and Maybe kill I'll take that snakes. on the retirement side. And, you know, the sad part is, is while our eyes are focused on the python, I'm going to give you a little story when we come back from break that'll tell you that there's another critter that's just getting out of control in the state of Florida. Take It's going to be crazy talk. When we come back, it is the Big and Wild Outdoors brought to you by Brandon Ford and G5 Feeding Outdoors. And you know what? So is G&B Gator Gear. You know, we'll just give them a plug right now. Woo-hoo. Get out there and get your harpoon, get your Burmese on. So you could go harpoon a snake. Yeah, that's enough talking. All right, welcome back, everybody. Don't forget, uh, we do have tickets to give away for the uh, Deer and Turkey Expo coming up here pretty soon in July. It's um, going to be a good time. We gave away tickets last hour. We'll give away some more before we get out of here on the second hour. Uh, before the break, we were talking about your opportunities to get down there in the Everglades and kill yourself some Burmese pythons. Get out there and get her done. Kill as many as you can. Kill them all. Get them out of there. Let's You're not going to kill them all. Uh, no, I know that, but you're if, not going to make a dent in them. You know what? Your attitude, Mister, is going to get you in big trouble. It already has. At least they're trying, <laughs> <laughs> and now they're making it even easier. I'll just like it better, you know, in three years when you know, Bill George is in here and he goes, "Man, they're just overrunning. The shotgun ain't working." It's like, fine, good. We can bring out break out the ARs and uh, put on some, uh, you know, listen, thirty round mags. Listen, you know. if it if it takes a snake. To get more people access to the Everglades, I'm for them. Yeah, sure. And after you get your airboat uh, captain's license, you can go take people out there and do uh, Burmese python uh, killing sprees. Yeah, that'd be Tours. Great. Well, uh, you know, we are the, it seems to be the home of the invasive species. It's typical here in the state of Florida, you know, uh, with lionfish and Burmese pythons and tegus and Norwegian rats and... Uh, uh, what else do we have? Just fire ants, armadillos. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the worst, too. Uh, fire ants, armadillos. Uh, Which one's the worst? Cuban and all. Fire ants. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably one of the worst ones of all. But the other one that, of course, Carlos seems to take great pride in knowing is the it's fact the tilapia. that. Oh, tilapia is another one. Get rid of those things. <laughs> no, get this. This just came out this week. Of course, we've been talking about it for years, but apparently uh, it's just now hitting the media because it seems to be important these days. Out-of-control iguanas infesting South Florida. Yeah, that's a... I've never uh, been down there and experienced them in full festation, but uh, down in Fort Myers, I've seen a few of them. They're working their way north. I love They're the, coming up. I love the panic in the story that as it came out. Pax! Of green iguanas are swarming seawalls, 
roaming yards and parks, and leaving a path of destruction and filth in their wake. What are they doing, eating all the fiddler crabs? The hot summer sun has stoked activities in these cold-blooded creatures, which experts say may be in record numbers. And Thomas Portulo, owner of Fort Lauderdale-based Iguana Control, says the invasive lizards are out of control, with many hundreds of thousands creeping around Broward, Miami-Dade, and Palm Beach counties. They said these prehistoric populations are multiplying like rabbits and causing internet, phone, and power outages, including uh, damaging landscape, levees, seawalls, roofs, and patios, and contaminating pools with, yeah, that stuff. Well, you know why it's a big issue now? Because you just hit the major thing. When you mess with the uh, the millennial cellular service, <laughs> everything is off limits now. Get this but, now. 8% of power outages, that's 9,200 a year, are caused by animals and birds. And Florida Power and Light spokesman in South Florida says iguanas are the second leading cause of power outages behind the squirrels. 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 And I love this one. This is a Bill George. Uh, this is something he would probably hear at a commission meeting. You know, there's no real way to come up with a valid estimate of numbers of the green iguanas in Florida. But the number one uh, would be, but the number would be gigantic, says Richard Engelman, Huge. a biologist with the National Wildlife Research Center. The creatures can grow up to five feet. And are as fast on land and water, making them difficult to catch, and they have no natural predators in the state of Florida. Other than humans. Now, this is the part I really love. It is now legal, as we do know, because we've talked to Carlos and everybody else around here about this the iguana hunting expeditions that they're putting on down there in South Florida these days. It's legal to shoot iguanas in the head with a pellet gun, stab them in the brain, and even decapitate them as long as they don't suffer according to state law. It is a crime, though, Bill George, to drown, freeze, or poison iguanas. Well, then nature's in trouble. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Then we had the uh, freeze down there. That's nature. That's nature taking care of it. That was the perfect opportunity to take care of the issues whenever they were falling out of trees and laying on the ground. They said, just leave them alone. You should have been picking them up. Kill them. Who who says it's against the law to drown them? The state of Florida. What part of the state of Florida? The state of Florida. Law enforcement. Well, the, the, the reason why I'm asking is because at the last commission meeting, there was like five or six people who got up to speak their mind about the person who drowned a raccoon and a possum in front of a class of kids and how that was not against the law. Well, that should have been. And so if you can't drown, or I'm saying if you can drown a raccoon or possum, I find it hard to believe it's against the law to drown an iguana. It is a crime to drown, freeze, or poison iguanas, is what it says the, the right cruelty, here in black the, and white. Bill, the cruelty to animals is we don't condone that. And no, that, to no, me, that I, would be that be cruelty I, uh, to do that. And uh, so, yes, that should be I, a prosecutable uh, offense. I don't disagree. It doesn't. That's not. That's not the way we would want anything to be dispatched. Dispatch uh, the best way possible. When that, that's it. I, that, I, that to me is just that. But drowning, but just, I can't agree with. But the freezing thing, I don't understand that because when they tell you to catch one of those bufo toads or any other reptile, uh, you put it in a ziploc bag and put it in your freezer for about five or seven hours. And, who you tells know, you that? 
and you uh, kill them. Who tells you that? The, and the green tree frog, the invasive tree frog, they tell you to do the same thing. Name, name. put names. it in there and do it. Who tells you? Bill George told me to do that. I did not tell Bill you to George. Do that. But I'm just saying, Bill George. That, at the last commission meeting, there was, there was a school teacher or whatever who was an ag teacher, I do believe, had these animals getting into the chicken pens and coops and and they turned around caught them and drowned them why didn't they just pop them with the 22 what's the big deal i guess that was in school yeah you can't carry a gun that, that, that'd be a no-no in school well you know even in ag have a heart well, trap take it out and go do something with it those I'm are sure. at least species that are supposed to be here yeah I think somebody will take and address that, Bill. The species are native to Central and uh, South America and the Caribbean and thrive in Florida's uh, subtropical climate. They reach sexual maturity in 18 months and uh, lay an average of 40 eggs per clutch per year. And uh, now this is what I don't understand. It says Florida's iguana problem began in the 1960s after the reptiles escaped from captivities during, of course, hurricanes. And as unwanted pets released in the wild. And as Glenn pointed out so eloquently, cold snaps kept the population in check. However, South Florida hasn't been uh, that cold or extensive enough to make an impact since 2009. And they say that Florida has one of the worst invasive species problems in the world. No duh. And uh, experts say iguanas have been able to flourish because, Bill George, what do you think the reason why is that they can flourish? Why they can't? Why they are flourishing? Why they can? Why they can? Yeah, the lots of protective areas for them to go to. Well, it says experts say iguanas are flourishing because biologists were busy studying environmental environmental impacts of pythons and feral pigs, but the public needs to understand the environmental threats iguanas pose. You, I I know somebody who does contract py, um iguana removal and makes good money doing it and and but that's a never-ending job it, looks it like. is it is but the latest you get one out one moves in one, one of the latest places <laughs> he had to, he got contracted to go down and work at is down in the keys these things are burrowing into the dump the the sidewalls of the dump areas and breaking into the liners and so now they're having to go in and get these dang iguanas because they're 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 turning you know well it's just terrible you know what and i i read i didn't put that part in there because obviously you're upset about the whole killing of them Bill no George. i'm just saying they said that one of the things if you find iguana holes in your backyard or whatever here's what i don't understand you fill them up you, you fill them up you can't freeze them. you can't do anything else but you but, can suffocate but them. you can suffocate them you can just you know go ahead and bury them out there in the backyard but we don't as have to see as they them, are, they yeah. still you got to do it the right way you know what i just love the fact that they describe it as the fact that you can go ahead and shoot them in the head well you can stab them in the brain or you can decapitate them as long as they don't suffer who published that story I don't know, but we are Big and Wild Outdoors, brought to you by G5 Feeding Outdoors. Brandon Ford, we'll be right back. And welcome back, Big and Wild Outdoors. Man. Nobody wants your donuts, Glenn. <sighs> That's fine. I asked Lana if she wanted one. I asked Vince if he wanted one. Captain Travis, nobody no. Nobody wants a donut. That's okay. are, I've had two. Thank you, Bill. These are great donuts. Yeah, they're the hole in ones. They're of usually course. pretty good. 
pretty good donuts, but also Braden. Pretty uh, good. They're awesome. I did a little research just in case we get the opportunity to go uh, and do a little bow fishing and have the opportunity to maybe take a sheephead or two. Well, your boy is uh, coming in here. I'm sure we can make a deal. If we go before July 1, because this we talked about it a few months back, the new rule change. But after July 1, you're only going to be allowed eight, which is okay. Eight's a good mess of fish, especially if you get them over 12 inches, because that is the limit. The size limit has to be bigger than 12 inches. And you're only allowed eight fish per person. But if you're on a boat, I guess that's a charter boat or whatever the case may be, 50 is the limit for that. Oh, so for a commercial. Correct. So if you were but out with a... that's a commercial harvest. You're recrecreational. It's 50 per trip during the March of April. We'll ask April. Captain Travis yeah, because the guy it, knows it all. I think he would be uh, falling into commercial, wouldn't it be, if you're a for no. hire a boat? No, that's, that's, that's not... For hire, there's there's multiple there's commercial fishermen and then there's for hire, which are the captains, which fall under a lot of the recreational stuff. Okay, sounds bag good. limits doesn't really matter because if you get uh, eight really nice uh, large sheep's head, that's enough. That's enough for just about anybody. It'll feed. You know what the state record people. is for the uh, sheep's head? Yeah, thirteen pounds. What do you think, Bill? Eighteen inches. Jeez, no, pa- not inches, state pounds, record. man. Come on, state man. record. I mean, let's sheephead. Yeah. Don't think too hard. It's only a three hour show. Six, six pounds. Okay. Six pounds. <laughs> I almost want to say if you know the answer, but I will tell you the state record right now is fifteen pounds two ounces. Blam! Caught near Homosassa. I knew it was a big old boy. I know our boy uh, Richard Zach, you know, the big diver guy, man. He's always out there. 15 he's pounds a, is a big fish. That's a <laughs> big a, sheep's head, dude. Yes. They're big, thick knobbers, man. I've never, I've never seen one that big. What? Obviously, because I'm not yeah. holding the record. I know there's a couple <laughs> good spots where there are some monsters. And every time I see them, I'm like, man, what I'd give for a gig right now. And they are big boys. Big, thick, nasties. I mean, they're like that wide, dude. When I, when I used to go up to... Seriously. Uh, up up there to um i think that was hudson beach launch out of hudson beach and go a little north up the uh was that port newport oh newport richie no well that's where it's going to be up there in port richie area but uh launch out of bayonet point and go a little north of there and i used to go up there with a friend of ours named dave glavich and uh that was their that was their place like ours is tampa bay they would go up there and gig a lot of mullet, but that's where I seen some of the biggest sheephead. They got them freshwater springs that bowl out right yep. there, and uh, you see all them big snook, sharks, whatever you want. There, it seems to be a, a good habitat for them. Well, let's not give out any more. Let's not give out any more spots. We got Captain Travis over in the other studio waiting to come in and talk to us, and so uh, maybe we can talk him into uh, taking us to those secret places. Well, that's why I didn't mention the one that I just talked about. <laughs> I'm not giving it out to anybody. So. Well, before before we start talking a lot about bow fishing in that, but uh, what? there was there was one other thing that happened at the commission meeting that might be of interest to you. No, probably not. Yeah, you know, Brady. the the that tag and report system was mentioned a number of times by a number of people. As in deer tag and report? Yes. Yes, that's what I and heard. And it's, it's, it's surfacing its head again, as well as the possibility of annual bag limits. So, You know what? You're going to hate me for saying it, but you know I'm a fan. I know I'm, a, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just one of those guys. I'm a fan. 
I've never been one of those who wants to overfill a boat. I don't want to be somebody who's out there overfilling uh, a cooler, and I don't need somebody. I, I can't tell you what you need, so I'm not going to infringe on somebody who feels that they need to go out and kill 75 does and 15 button bucks, you know, across the states or do whatever. They may have a large family they need to feed. I understand. But for me personally, I think it can generate a lot of revenue. I think it's going to grow better, bigger and better deer, especially if they manage it properly. And I think uh, it's been proven in South Texas and in Missouri and everywhere else. It's been put in and implemented. Alabama right now, look at their, where they're at with deer. They're overrun with them now. And they were one of the first states ever to start the QDM-type situation, and now now they're now they're begging people to come and kill as many as you can get. So I don't think we're going to ever be there, but no, uh, more and more places. Uh, the big talk right now is three lakes has gone to no doe during archery season. Okay, I don't see why that would be beneficial, but 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 I'm just saying that people. It's funny seeing people's reaction to the potential of you know, regulations or even tagging. They do not want to tag their deer for nothing. Why? It helps everybody. It, it helps doesn't. The it hurts them. I understand that they take it personally or somehow or another well, they're, they're it, tracking or whatever. It doesn't make any sense. I, I think uh, I've sat in the woods a long time hunting deer and not seen anything in the early years of, of uh, in the 70s going with my dad. And if you seen, if you got one or two deer throughout the whole season – that was a big accomplishment. It was. And, uh, you know, we've not been from the dog hunting side, but for steel hunting and hunting a lot of the management areas, um, if you got one or two deer a year, you did something really special. And uh, throughout the years in the 90s, it seemed like the deer were really on a good upward uh, trend of the population. Uh, I've seen a lot of deer throughout the 90s and early 2000s. And then I kind of broke away and went and started hunting Georgia, Alabama a lot more and uh and when I started in Alabama, there was no limit on them as well. And That's then they right. went to um, putting the limit out there, and that was two last bucks, year. four does. I think. And then Georgia had the th- same thing, and now it's ten deer per season, uh, two bucks. I believe it is two, maybe three bucks a year, but seven or eight does. I don't know. I've not hunted in Georgia in many years now, but I know they have a uh, a limit with a tagging system. But I, you- I, I, I was I was going to say that you know in those times, you got to remember how much land was available for public hunting back then in the 1970s, and it was overrun with human beings. And I really say, and I mean this sincerely, I really think that the deer population that we have today and the good deer that we're seeing coming out of the state of Florida, especially in the past couple of years, is mostly due to private landowners and, hated or not, all those subdivisions and everything else that were built out in the wilderness where no one can hunt and those deer are moving out into other territories and possibly crossing over and getting into management areas and places like that. Those sanctuaries have created an environment where they can eat well and they get fed well and then they move on to someplace else and then get whacked. I mean, you think, I mean, seriously. And it, if and it hadn't been for those and that food, they'd, they'd be those skinny, you know, ribs sticking out, you well, know, tied swamp deer well, you're dragging the, out there. The thing is, too, is uh, my buddy Doug had property that we had permission to hunt in those community areas that had a um, – everything was developed, and it was like the last chunk of land that was not touched yet. And so we had access to that, and it was very productive. It was just – when you sat there, it was one of the places that you, if you could took somebody young – 
or old, just to go and share the experience. Uh, they would be not disappointed the amount of deer that come through. But one of the things that I did notice uh, in a community within about five miles of that area, the deer are so populated that the rib bones show the deer are small. They're overpopulated, and the food source is very limited. The people, shrubs, and plants are mauled to the ground, but yet the people have the voice of we're not touching the deer. But what they're really doing for those is – uh, giving them a slow death because of the fact they're running out of the food source and everybody has all their plants and shrubs that they spend lots of money to to plant and grow but you still have that voice of we're not we're not going to do them and they're really doing the deer an injustice as but far I think as the it cruelty also side give, of it, it of starvation them, you're right and i get but it gives them an opportunity to move out from there where are they going to move to i don't know how many deer they pick up on the side of road <laughs> that's exactly where bunches, they're gonna move well, bunches the road. in that area yeah. and uh you know my source that i have over there for this where they get responded to to go and remove the deer from the shoulders or in the right-of-way is unbelievable and uh so they're not really doing any good by having those communities that uh, in if you that got area, to our northern in, states. In that area, maybe not, but in other particular areas, I think that it does. Well, I think it does help the population. And as much as people don't want to be like what they do up north, and that's what we used to hear, and I hate to hear some of that. Well, back home, <laughs> yeah. we had this and that. But one of the things that those folks are doing is having a management program set up, you know, to where they can track the amount of deer that's harvested years Tag. that they have a most accurate number. Not everybody's going to, you're still going to have the people that don't report it. But when you have a tag system of some sort, and I'm still not a big fan of it, but I am a fan of it when it comes to being able to manage your deer populations, have true numbers to establish an opportunity to increase uh, the area by, as Bill said, three lakes, one of the most, one of the prettiest management areas, I believe, in the central Florida area to go and hunt on. And now there, there's no doe hunting going on through the month, through the archery season period because of the population is down. And uh, in order to, to fix that is to have a tag system in place so that you can have the biologies there to know this is what we need to do to and, improve And it. how many tags you can issue in each and every county because you know what the accurate deer number, or at least close to accurate number that you can get. You know, and that's how they do it in Missouri. If they keep, take too many does out of Hickory County, they don't issue that many doe permits for the next year. So the FWC here in the state of Florida is on two things. People like us to report somebody that has a violation or social media to see that Bill's got 12 uh, turkeys on his Facebook page and you're only allowed two. (laughs) I didn't post any pictures. (laughs) Well, thanks for stirring the pot in here. Well, that's how they, that's how they manage it. So this system may be a better tool. We are big and wild outdoors when we come back. Have your phones ready. 888-404-1010. We'll be giving away that pair of tickets to the Expo Turkey at the RP funding on June. Expo Turkey what? The Expo. Deer and turkey? That's right. Deer and turkey expo. <laughs> I got carried away. <laughs> but anyway, we'll give them away when we come back. We are Big and Wild. Brandon Ford will be back. Hey, we're back. Big and Wild Outdoors. Bring Glenn, Jonathan, Vince, and uh, Captain Travis over in the other room hanging out with Knock. We offered them donuts, and they spit at us, and they didn't want them. So, uh, well, they didn't bring us no fish sandwich. Yeah, you so. notice all we heard was, Man, we went out last night, we had such a great time, man, we killed a lot of fish. Where is it? Yeah. Where Where are the fillets? Where's the fried fish? That's I, what I don't I'm know. thinking. No, no, that's you know? be nothing. Where, where are the <clears throat> scallop plugs, you know, from the stingrays? Sting you know, where are those things? I, you Get know? your phones ready, 888 You can call in. We just can't seem to get it where it punches through to the studio so we can talk to you and give you. You get to talk to Knock. Yeah, 
and he'll take your information. You're welcome, yeah. Triple eight four zero four ten ten. Caller number Bill. Three. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> Bill, thank you. Uh, listen, not looking after the Look at there. The phone's already so... blowing up. Three's going to go like right now. <laughs> you can't go three. <laughs> Holy mackerel. Caller number three. Uh, listen, well, let's see. Let me guess. It'll either side. be Richard. It'll be, uh, you know, I mean, uh, seriously, you can't do three. That's, that's the craziest thing ever. <laughs> yep. That's triple eight four four ten ten. Caller number three. 300. Ask. Caller number 300. No, it ain't 300. <laughs> But we have a winner already, so it don't matter. You can't do that. It's ludicrous. Oh, mercy. We do have a winner. Sorry about that. Low numbers. Bill, but the it was, phone line. Look, it's dropping all the way down to like the 10th line. Yeah, it's already over. Yeah, yeah. For all you people who but would Knock like to be the 10th caller or the 9th caller, uh, you know, you're SOL. Be quicker on the finger. Yeah. Oh, mercy me. That makes me. no sense Program it into You can't do that dial. next time. It's caller 15. No, so it won't face. be 15, but it's not going to be three, Bill. Put it, put it in your speed dial. Put it in your name, in your phone. <sighs> be quick. Yeah. But we do have another pair to give away. Bet you five bucks at somebody we know. Yeah, we'll give away another pair in the 9 o'clock hour. Hey, Venomous Caterpillar sends a Florida teen to the emergency room. Did anybody, has anybody ever in this room ever been stung by a caterpillar? Yes, and it'll leave a, it'll, and it, it's very irritating. Have you really? <laughs> yes. I've played with those things, and they've never, ever, ever bit me. Listen. Or stung me or sprayed me spines, or whatever it is the they spines, do. One of the best stories I know is my buddy, he turned around and got one on his collar, and it gave a big rash on his neck. So he turned around, went into work. They told him, oh, you need to go get that checked out. He knew what had caused it, but they forced him to stay out of work for a few days. Well, apparently during turkey season. Well, apparently if you're a smaller individual, it can be quite, uh, quite bad. Yeah. Uh, you know, this teenager who was working in the yard, uh, the southern flannel moth caterpillar, which we've all seen, you know, looks you like a, a little woolly bugger. Yeah, they're the blonde ones, not the black ones or mm-hmm. the black and red ones. They're they're almost um, little blonde furry looking uh, caterpillars. Although it's a thick fur, it's not like that one that has like the open fur type. Well, that'd stuff. be a great excuse now to keep the people out of the yard. I don't want to get that blonde caterpillar on me. <laughs> this kid uh, got one that got stung on the arm and ended up uh, literally in the hospital. Now, is wow. it like that? Is it? Did they say if it's toxic like that to anyone who gets uh, stung, or was it just a reaction that, that the individual may have had, and the, it's kind of a rare situation? I don't know if he was because he was hot, and he was outside, or whatever. But they said within five minutes, the kid was like dizzy, lost all the color in his face, and uh, ended up taking him to the emergency room. And uh, the rash had spread all over uh, through his chest and everywhere else like that. Doctors actually treated him with some sort of medication. I don't know, and they said he started looking better within four hours. So obviously, you know, wow. so what is people, that? what's that caterpillar called again? I'm going to look it up. It's well, called the flannel, uh, the southern flannel moth caterpillar. We've all seen them. I mean, once you see the picture of it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And I don't know how many times I've had that thing, you know, crawl along my finger, you know, la, 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 la. You know, remember they used to call them asps. Remember asps? Because they stung asps. like crazy and they were really, uh, they were really uh, bad. But apparently, you know, they're out here in the south, and uh, you got to be careful. Kids playing in the backyard, they come out, back, look what I got, Mom! And the next thing you know, you're sitting in the emergency room. Well, it appears to be that there's a couple, they could be in a couple of different color forms. This one here's a little darker, that one's a little blonder, so, you know, it's kind of, 
Maybe you just got to Yeah, that's out. the blonde one there. They, they had to whack the kid like that right there. Well, all I know is my buddy got a, about a week off during turkey season, and <laughs> after it started clearing up, he, he was going to go back. He found another one, stuck himself on purpose, and they gave him a few more days off of work. Are you During turkey season. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? They told him not to come. They were worried he might be contagious. So how did he get the caterpillar to attack him on the second time? Oh, it was, like the one with the bristles. it was the one with the bristles, and it first started where it was crawling on his neck, and he hit it. So he yeah. knew what it was. Yeah. But it was a flannel, flannel moth. You know. Or caterpillar. So yeah, you can look it up online. <laughs> it's uh, it's a woolly booger looking thing, but it's not. You know, a lot of people mistake like the the big black furry ones or the little blonde ones that have the two little antenna that stick up on the front and back. That's not it. You know, the ones you always find on oak trees. Yeah, it's the one that kind of looks like just a almost like a shell that's furry. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if he's one that would be allergic to bee stings and. And that type of stuff also. I don't know. Made the kid so. feel really bad. Well, uh, apparently it must be uh, pretty good because uh, you said you got stung by one. Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't one of those. It was uh, just another. Must have been a different kind of caterpillar. Because you know, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe my my tolerance levels a little different. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> they were. Spun, I walk out now and get one and be. They were the spun by another mother. <laughs> I don't know, but <laughs> apparently it must be a pretty uh, intensing intensifying pain because it said it hurts so much it makes your bones actually ache and he's not the per- first one that's been been i guess in 17 or stung was a, a five-year-old boy and he had the same reaction to it, it had to be rushed to the hospital so yeah they say uh, if you're a smaller individual it gets even worse so maybe i have another donut then i'll grow we're up safe <laughs> obviously, <laughs> i'll get bigger off that donut and i'll be able to handle more of that Obviously, your boy, uh, you know, self-inflicted caterpillar wound. <laughs> he could obviously take it. It was not that big of a deal. Yeah, it's like uh, shooting yourself in the foot to get out of combat or something. Seriously, man, that's not good at all. But it's not. Try to tell us a while ago that Jim was the winner in Tampa. Jim who? Jim McCullough. Real? Oh, five bucks. You owe me five bucks. So uh, he anyway. has it on speed dial. Uh, I wanted to ask you this because uh, I don't think a lot of people know this, but during the FWC uh, fisheries update down in Sarasota, uh, I know that this affects some friends of mine because they're big on the uh, recreational uh, blue crabbing. Is it did they pass the whole thing where you have to have uh, identification on your flotations or anything if they're if they're sitting? Do you remember I, hearing I, I, that I did at not. all? I did not attend the second day, which was the marine fishery side. But uh-huh. on the commercial side, you've had to have right. identifications. Well, according to this, it says they approved a draft uh, changes, including creating a mandatory no-cost annual recreational blue crab and stone trap registration for trap fishers age 16 and older and requiring trap identification numbers to be placed on the recreational traps. So... Uh, I don't know what that means by uh, recreational numbers. You have to put your cell phone on there, or do they issue well, they, you a number? They're going to issue you, you a number. They're okay. going to issue you, kind of like your hunter ID number or something like that. They'll issue you a number. But consider this. Those traps are being put out most of the time in navigable waters. you got boats going there. They end up missing a buoy or something along that line. Yeah, It's not bad to know who, who that thing belongs to because one of the biggest problems we have is people going and picking up traps that don't belong to them. Well, and if true. you want somebody to be able to be prosecuted for stealing your stuff, 
you got to be able to identify your stuff. Yeah, but I mean, how hard is it to go cut a rope and uh, there's no more buoy on it? And, uh, and that, that happens. And uh, But when the officer turns around and looks at you collecting a trap and sees you cut a buoy off or sees you collecting a series of traps and they're not your traps, you'd, you'd like them to get get prosecuted now most of the ones the people that i know that that use the you know the crab traps and put them out there they put them out in unnavigable waters back canals places like that where you know you don't have boat traffic where you do have blue crabs back in the mangroves back in areas off of canals and stuff like that where uh you know it, it's not going to affect anybody now they're going to be required to actually have to go and apply for a permit type sure. thing and get issued a number so that sure. they can do okay Unless you're under 16, from what I just heard. Yeah. If you're under 16, you just let your kids do it. <laughs> this is my kid's trap. He's 11. I'm just helping him pick him up because he's too young to drive a boat. So I have to drive the boat, and it's his trap, so I'm out here helping him pick him up. Yeah. Loophole. So anyway, we're going to take a break. Leave it to Bill. Is it top of the hour? Yes, it is. Oh, crud. All right. When we come back, we'll have uh, Vince from Living the Water Life in here and uh, Captain Travis from uh, Twisted Limbs. So they'll be in here to tell us about their great adventures that nobody else was invited to. Did you get to go, Glenn? No. How about you, Bill? No. Thanks for coming by, Vince. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, we'll talk to you guys after the top of the hour break. We're brought to you by G5 Feeding Outdoors and Brandon Ford. Hang with us, you guys.